here on the morning show throughout these first few weeks of the year. We've been talking a little bit about choosing a saint for the year and walking with them. So that way you grow closer to the Lord and stronger in your faith. I can think of no better person to help identify a few saints for us that could make that journey with us. It is our good friend, Julianne Durko. She is the host of Your Next Mission from God. And she's got a few saints whose feast days are coming up. And that might be the perfect model you need for 2024. Good morning, Julie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning, Brenda. It's great to be here. So, Julie, you have picked out for us today four saints, and we're going to talk about each one of them. So let's get to it. Now, you gave me the list of these saints, and I had to write this one out very carefully and practice his name. A new saint in the Catholic Church, Saint Devasahayim. You this, said it very nicely. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, now that I can say it, I'm going to say it all the time. Saint Devasahayim, tell us about him. Well, this is a new saint. Uh, May of 2023, I believe he was canonized. Anyway, it's very recent. Mm-hmm. And he's from southern India. Devasahayam means Lazarus. Really? Yes. And so that was his Christian name once he became baptized. His last name is Pila. And it's P-I-L-L-A-I. And so a lot of people will say St. Pila instead of St. Devasahayam. But I don't know. I love Devasahayam and I fell in love with him. He is a great person to get to know. An Indian layman. He was raised Hindu in a very upper crust family in the early 1700s. He was, you know, they have a caste system. right? And he was in a high caste, two of them actually, a military caste and a landowner's caste. So he ends up when he's a young man going to to work for the king and he's well-educated and in his military training, he had all that martial arts and all that. I mean, he's, and then he chooses a wife. She's from a high caste too. So his, sure. his whole world is just going, just doing great until, yeah. until, <laughs> until he has some questions about why things are happening in his life and, and existence. And he meets a Christian who begins to explain it to him. It leads to his conversion. He's this high caste and suddenly his cattle are dying and he's having misfortunes. And apparently he's not, that's not supposed to be the way it happened. So he's questioning. Well, there's a Dutch military man who had lost a battle with the same king and was in his service. Okay. And because he was a military genius, the king had him training his own troops. So he's there, but he's Catholic. So he he tells Devasahayim, that's not his name quite yet, um, but he tells Devasahayim about Jesus Christ and then teaches him about Job from the Old Testament. And that's where Mm. Devasahayim, it really Mm -hmm. resonates with him. So he wants to know more. And there's a Jesuit missionary that lives like 30 kilometers away. So for nine months, he takes lessons and gets baptized and takes the baptismal name of Devasahayim, that is Lazarus. And that gets him into all kinds of trouble because he's still working, he's doing a good job, but he has this newfound faith and he can't keep it to himself. And so he's telling people and he converts his wife. That takes some doing. She is very resistant. She was very, you know, raised the same way he was, Mm -hmm. but she comes around and she becomes a Christian too. And then when he's not at work, he's hanging out with the low caste, which he's not supposed to touch them. You you are considered contaminated and then he wants to go to work and he's not supposed to. So in the king's court, everybody's in an uproar. And and then, of course, the, the Hindu uh, uh, Brahmins, they, they too don't like it. I mean, it's, it's considered sacrilege. 
So they do trump up a lot of charges and they take it to the king and saying he is upsetting the status quo. We can't have this. So the king decides he needs to be executed, but first humiliated. So he's paraded around to different cities and humiliated first. And then he's going to be executed. It's not real clear. There's not a lot of detail on him that I could find, but executions don't go well. And that happens a lot with the saint. But it's like the Lord is saying, yeah, I'm not going to take the crown of martyrdom from them. I'm not. But in the meantime, I'm going to show all of you that they're my special one. And mm-hmm. often during those times, there's conversions of the perpetrators, actually, right. you know, which happens. So anyway, he's not easy to kill. So he ends up living three years and they keep him. He's in fetters for an entire three years. He's not like in a cell because the people can get to him. So miracles are happening. All these people are flocking. He's getting to be a real thing. Now this is bad because he's this Christian guy in chains and all these people are flocking to him. They want to learn about Jesus and he's not keeping it to himself and miracles with his jailers even too. You know, there was one jailer, his wife could not have children and she conceives and has a child because death is a high and praise for her. And so anyway, finally they have to sneak him off to a secret cell where no one will know because of the crowds. And then they take him out into the forest and they shoot him. This is some time in uh, mid 1700s. So the, the Christians find out, the Catholics, they go and they, they scoop that all up. And there's a cathedral in Qatar where his remains are in the altar there. Wow. What an incredible story. Now, perhaps a listener heard us today. Maybe that is the saint, Saint Devasahayim. Well, he's not done with us, though. Oh. Because. When it comes time for his canonization, the miracle for his canonization is very interesting. There's a connection to be made. So he didn't need a miracle for beatification because he was a martyr, but for canonization, okay. he did. And the miracle was that a, 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 a baby in the womb, a fetus 20 weeks along that had died, was resuscitated and lived uh, in the womb of an Indian woman. And I think that's so interesting because the connection I made was that in his time in the 1700s, he associated with people who weren't, who were considered less than human, the low caste, right? Mm -hmm. They were children of God and he knew it and he knew who they were and their value, right? And then of course they're flocking around him because they're realizing, oh, I am valuable. God loves me and I'm more than this low life that how, how it is in the caste system when you're at the low end. And then in this day and age with um, uh, two things, one, uh, the prevalence of abortion being accepted all over the world, you know, that that saving a child in the womb, he's saying, well, you know, in the 1700s, people didn't think that person was valuable. Well, if you don't think a child in the womb is valuable, I tell you what, I'll just go ahead and raise one back to life so that you can know that. <laughs> that they're important oh, and that they're valuable, wow. you know? So he's he's making his, he's upsetting the status quo at two times in history regarding what it means to be human. And in our day and age, we have such confusion about what it means to be human and how valuable we are as a child of God. I, I just think that there's a lot of levels here with him. Pregnancies, women who want to get pregnant or have a hard time staying pregnant, uh, people who work in the pro-life movement, people who work with the underprivileged or those who aren't considered important anymore. Um, You know, people who are homebound sick or can't communicate or have some sort of a challenge in their life. 
that would be the saint for you. I think yeah. that's perfect. Well, perhaps that saint is speaking to you, Saint Devasahayam. Julianne Durko joining us today. She's introducing us to perhaps an unfamiliar saint that could walk with you this year, but also a saint that you might know. You also feel that coming up, his feast day is not too long away, Saint John Bosco. Now, you've been on before talking about Saint John Bosco, but more importantly, that dog Grigio. But we didn't get a chance to talk about his difficult upbringing and what makes him such a powerful saint for people in our day and age. Kind of let our listeners know about the background and the upbringing of Saint John Bosco that makes him such a powerful saint for us today. John Bosco was, well, if you think about a dysfunctional family, his family was dysfunctional and poor and disadvantaged in many ways. Uh, His father dies when he's not quite two years old yet. And his mother had married a man who already had a son, and then she had two children, two more boys with him, and John being one of them. And this was in the early 1800s, and there was some really bad famines and things and some wars that the family had lived through. So everything was very uh, much poverty saturated and farming because of weather and things and famine kind of situation going on there. They just got hit hard from the Napoleonic Wars, then all these famines and things were really, really hard. So to lose her husband then, and they were farmers, was really hard. Mm. Um, she kept her family together. So she had John, he was only two, and and um, and his siblings. And then as he grows, the reliance on the older boy, who was quite a bit older, he was nine when his father died, okay? So now when he's a teenager, he's pretty much the man of the house running the farm. And Margaret, of course, is working too. And he's mad. He doesn't like um, stepbrother John because John would rather be reading. He's kind of skirting his responsibilities and stuff. And he just doesn't like him at all. And and he begins to really pick on him. And once in a while, they get into a fight. And John was little and slight. And he was big and older. And his mom was afraid for his son, yeah, for her his son well John's being. safety. Mm-hmm. And there, there weren't any options for her. There were no options what she's going to do. Uh, try to take this big man-sized boy and keep him from killing her younger son when he sets him off. His older brother did have a really bad temper, and so she was seriously worried. So when he's 9 or 10, he's very, very young, and it's winter still. It's not spring. Um, She sends him out to get a job where you would actually live there because she knew it wasn't safe for him to live in the home. So he goes to all the farms, especially where they keep horses to help as a stable boy, but they don't need them till spring, you know? So he gets refused over and over and over and over. Finally gets to the end of the road and he gets to this farmer's house, Farmer Luigi and, and Farmer Luigi's like, I don't need you till spring, come back. Plus you're, you're a couple of years too young to be a stable boy. And John, at this point, it's getting dark and he knows he can't go home and he shouldn't. And so he just starts crying and he sits down and says, I'm just staying put. Do with me what you will, but I'm not moving. So anyway, the daughter of this farmer feels so sorry for him. They all do. And so he lives in their barn for a while. And and then as he grows, they kind of cater to his need to read and study, which he was destined for the priesthood, you know. So 
Um, but he keeps very close contact with his mother just because they can't live under the same roof. Okay, yeah. That there is this, and she gets the funds from the farming to pay for his education so that he can go to school and they are so close, it's unbelievable. I mean, she knows the situation and actually later in life, uh, he and his brother are very much reconciled and it seems like maybe his brother um, maybe had some mental illness or it was just like he just cracked. Like like you're a teenager boy and everything's on your shoulders and you're. I'm not making excuses for him, but no. your younger brother's not pulling his weight and there's not going to be food on the table. I mean, there's lots of levels. There's no blame to put around here. But the mother realized John was in danger if he lived here. So she made other arrangements. Wow. Yeah. What a sacrifice of a mother's heart to, you know, in order to save her son, mm-hmm. to send him away. Yes. Wow. And then later in life, um, when he does become a priest, which is a challenge of itself, that could be a whole nother show, but she goes to help him. And he is work. He needs help working with boys. He's the father. They need a mother, and it's the industrial revolution, which really is breaking up the family. And there's because of industrialization and and the jobs, the cheap jobs, and and the lack of jobs even, and then a lack of place to house them and stay, and lack of order and lack of families because they were in the rural areas sending their teenagers and younger um, children in for jobs. So it, the Industrial Revolution was not a good thing for the family unit. Uh-huh. And there were all these homeless boys who were getting into all kinds of trouble. They were getting in prison and he'd go visit them. It broke his heart because he knew that in a different circumstance, they could be this wonderful, happy person. But instead, they're, they're, they're going nowhere. They're causing problems and, and they're doing crime, right? And, and so um, he creates these oratories, which cause a lot of fuss. That brings in Grigio because people didn't agree with him helping these boys. They felt that they were threatening, right? Mm-hmm. There was a hit put out on John. You really? Know? Yes. And so different authorities, that he was threatening. And we know this. And that's where Grigio protected him during those times. But he created these oratories and a way to, to give uh, the boys work and the love of Jesus, and the love of a home. And even though they were dirt poor, like boys would show up crying at the door in the middle of the night. And Margaret, is his mom would say, I don't even have a blanket for this boy. Sometimes she'd give her blanket. You know, it's like, what are we going to do? But, but in the end, he was just so loved. He was so loved by the boys. And it made such a difference in so many lives. And, and uh, even then he did get very, very sick. He was going to die. You know, he just, mm. he was going to die and they just wouldn't let him. Everybody realized that these boys crying and praying to God and petitioning the Lord, they just, it's almost like they would not let the Lord take him from them. They needed him so much. And I just don't know of a, a saint who was more loved by the people he served than John Bob's than John Bosco. He, and he had such a kind heart. He never got calloused from it wow you know and even one boy that he had to accompany uh his superior priest when he was a young priest said you must accompany that that young man to his execution he'd been a delinquent and there was no way around it and john's like i can't do it i can't do it and the priest was like you must you can't abandon him and so he knew that he should but when it came when it came down to the execution itself, he just fainted. He didn't he didn't see oh. it. But he did accompany him all the way to all the, the end. Way. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Speaking of a company, that's the saint that might accompany you this year. Julian Durko joining us today, talking about the lives of the saints. Julie, this is fascinating. And those are two amazing saints, but you have a couple more that you want to share with us, but I'm already up against my break. Can you stay with me through the break? We're going to continue in our next half hour. Oh, absolutely. And I am back with our good friend, Julie Andurko. She is joining us today, telling us about the lives of the saints. Perhaps one of these you might choose to walk with through 2024. Julie, thanks so much for staying with us today. Oh, my pleasure. So in our first half hour, we talked about St. Devasahayim and also about the life of St. John Bosco. Perhaps yes. you've heard of one, not the other, but great, great information on these saints. We're moving on another saint. In fact, her feast day coming up February 8th. Many people know the name St. Josephine Bikida. What makes her such a great saint to walk with this year? I think because of her pure love. Some people have terrible things happen to them and she had terrible things happen to her her entire life um, until she became a Canossian sister when she was a young woman. But um, it didn't embitter her as as horrible as it was. And so she had this love and part of it were, is because of a, a almost an infusion of grace, if I would say really? that. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. So she was captured when we want to say somewhere between five and seven years old. She's not exactly sure. You know, we don't know exactly when mm, she was born right. because she was captured and in the slave trades, bought and sold five times in her life till she was a young woman and freed in, in Italy. As a child, before and after her capture, she knew God and she called him Param. I don't know in her language, what if that is means God. She wasn't taught him officially at all, but she said, who is this that made the stars? Who is this that made the mountains? And she was sure that whoever that was, that they loved her. That's an infused grace. And then to have the life that she lived and interesting that she was captured. And then for a time, initially she and a, a young, another young girl were um, chained together and they ended up being unchained and put in a, a shed. And they, anyway, they escaped one night. They were caught again during this time, but they escaped. And during this time they could hear wild animals and she didn't know what to do. And this man, a, a being appeared to her and he was, he had beautiful blue eyes. He was, radiant and he told her what to do he just told her what to do and it it saved their lives from these wild animals mm -hmm. right in the middle of the night years later when she's a an older woman and she's the sacristan and the Canossians, she goes back to the sacristy and he was just standing there was the same man so what what she said was somebody asked her what did you say she says well i believe it was my guardian angel and she says, my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. I just couldn't say anything. <laughs> oh, I I think there might be a few people around here that think that that might happen to some of us from time to time, just unable to speak. But that is just perfect interaction. And it didn't require words, I think. Well, so in her journey, this is kind of how it went. Bought and sold five times. She had uh, very, very bad mistreatments. She did see crucifixion. 
She mm. did see it of other slaves. Wow. And um, and she had ritual scarring and some of these things done to her. But somehow she ends up being the property of an Italian family that they have holdings in Africa. And they bring her back to Italy and she's the nanny for their little girl, Mamina. And Mamina loves her like a mother because the mother is doing all this business and stuff like that, right? Mamina and Bakita are very, very close. That's the interesting part of the story because Mamina is the only person that Bakita ever loved and oh. up until this mm-hmm. point. And Mamina loved Bakita like a mother. So there was this love between them, you know, in this relationship because she was her nanny, the one who took care of her. So they come to Italy. And what happens in Italy is that the family decides they need to go back to Africa to do some big hotel thing. Mamina is too little. She's three or four. And so there's this man, this Catholic man. These Catholic men, they just, they just show up in history and they do something really important. He convinces this family that, that owned Paquita to leave Paquita and Mamina with the Canossian sisters. They can live there. They can house them there. You know, they've got a room and everything, and Paquita can still take care of Mamina, and they'll just live there. While we go, while they, him, he and his wife go back to um, Africa to do their, their, get their hotel ready, and then they're going to come get Paquita and Mamina and go back. In the meantime, Paquita learns about Jesus, and she, she, ah, oh, that's the prom. That's, that's it. Yes, and and she sees the crucifix. And she's like, she could identify with him. Like, he loves me. Like, she'd seen the worst of the worst. Let me tell you, her life was horrific. Mm-hmm. And she'd seen it all. And here was a God who embraced humanity and shared it with her. He was a slave like her, but he was God, all powerful. That she wasn't, that was amazing. So there's her faith growing. And they come back to get her and Mamina. In the meantime, the reason why she could be quote unquote owned was just because she was underaged because Italy did not have slavery at that time. In the late 1800s, they didn't have it. No slavery there. But she was a minor under their care. So they had authority over her. While they're gone, she turns of age. So... The Canossian sisters say, you don't have to go. And here came the big decision. She loved Mamina. Mamina was the only one she loved. And Mamina loved her. And they made all kinds of promises. You you know, we'll take good care of you. You know, originally they were going to have her be a barmaid in the new hotel, right? And she said she knew it would cost her her Christianity and that even though she had to say goodbye to Mamina the only person that she had loved except now the Canossian sister she was falling in love with but you know what I mean that one thing exactly it would have been a hard thing when you didn't have love all your life to give that up but she did and she stayed and she then she is baptized she becomes a Canossian sister but there's more to her story that's just amazing So way back when she was captured as a five to seven year old, 
Her older sister had been captured a few years ahead of her. The slave trade, the Arab slave trade, was an evil thing going on in that day and time. And her parents never found her sister, just like she never found her parents again. I mean, it was forever when they captured him, right? Now she's an older woman, and she's going around giving talks about missionary work because she's too old to do it herself, which she wanted to, but she's encouraging others and and getting funds so that missionaries can go to Africa because she wants them to know about Jesus, you know? And people are telling her, there's another black sister uh, it's a, I, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of her order, who has a similar story to yours. You need to meet her. And so eventually her travels when she's giving these talks takes her to where this sister is and they meet and they surmise that's her older sister. Really? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Is that amazing? That is beautiful. I know. That is beautiful. So I'm thinking, you know, refugees, there's a lot of refugees. We don't think about it. There's lots of war in the world. Yes. And there's people in the United States who are, are don't know what has happened to their relatives or whatever. I don't know. It seems like Paquita's a good one because she didn't know where her, what happened to her family, you know. They didn't know what happened to her. But then her and her sister, as older women, are reunited. It's just amazing. I, I just, the human condition is one of suffering but Josephine had love and joy, and she took care of sick people, especially as she got older, and, and they loved her care. She was gentle and good. And I also want to say that there is a movie, I think the title of it is Bakita. You can look yeah. it up on Amazon or whatever. I'm not sure if it's there. I, I do know it's a major mo- motion picture. You should be able to find it, and that it is unformed. And I will tell you, it's a pretty, I studied her life, and it's a pretty good representation. Okay. Yeah. So maybe as you journey through the year and you are thinking and praying to ask St. Josephine to walk with you this year, spend some time and learn more about her and track down the movie called Bakita. And she died like in 1946 or something. Yes. So we've got a picture of her. I mean, it's she's not that far in history that you can't identify with her, but... um. But you know, it, it's she got identified with her. Jesus Christ, he accompanied humanity in all of its pain and, and sinfulness and everything. And there he is the only answer when we have these kinds of wounds. There is no one else. Wow. Yeah. Julianne Durko is an expert on the lives of the saints. We are so fortunate to have her joining us today, talking about some saints that you can walk with this year. All right, Julie, so rounding out our list this morning, I think as we move into the month of February, people think about Valentine. But as it turns out, Valentine's Day, February 14th, happens to also be Ash Wednesday. So how can we connect St. Valentine and celebrate love, but also recognize that he could also be a saint for Lent this year. Help us plug these together. Okay, well, we'll do this together, Brenda. It's great to make these connections. And that's why I really like to encourage uh, Catholics to talk because you'll make connections that you won't make without somebody else. You okay. just you just won't. And that's why we need the communion of saints because they help us. P- 
piece things together. When we have those aha moments, we don't do them in a in in a vacuum. You know, we do them with someone. Maybe we can't even see them. They're our saint friend or our guardian angel. But but yeah, that that is important. So I was thinking about this that the feast day lands on the 14th. Well, first let's talk about a little bit about Valentine. Yes, he was a priest or a bishop in the early church. He was martyred, and he was imprisoned. And so he was still encouraging his Christian brothers and sisters who were not in the prison, and they were wanting to encourage him. So they were sending notes back and forth. And that's where we get uh, the notes as a Valentine, because he loved them. He was their priest or their bishop. We're not sure which, but he was giving them support and love until his martyrdom. And they were, of course, supporting him that he was going to receive the crown of martyrdom and the glory, you know, to, you know, he's going, going to heaven to see Jesus. So this support that we give one another. So when you think about Valentine, you want to think about friendship and marriage, love. Uh, Valentine is said to have performed marriages secretly when he wasn't supposed to in the prison. It's all about uh, loving and supporting. And so we can certainly on Ash Wednesday make beautiful valentines those love notes who writes anymore do you have a handwritten note from very many people these days i mean think about that that is something special besides sending an email you know like a, a note that somebody took the time to write or even a child who draws a heart for you or you glue some little glittery things on there or whatever it's all about love and i think that uh, St. Valentine sacrificing his life because he loved Jesus and he loved the church and he loved his people. That is a, a testament that le- that is a great way to begin Lent. Julie, no doubt. And you think about that sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. And that's what Christ gives us on the cross. We begin that Lenten journey. It is Ash Wednesday. And we know Ash Wednesday is a day of fast and abstinence. And you think about uh, that's not a big sacrifice if you compare it to what St. Valentine offered the world and more importantly, the sacrifice that Christ offers us. So I think a perfect way to honor St. Valentine is to honor the day of Ash Wednesday through sacrifice, through self-giving love. And of course, we can abstain from meat and that extra meal through the day. I think that's what St. Valentine would want us to do. I think that's what he would want us to do too. And then, you know, there's the there's the Tuesday before. If you really have to give your sweetheart some chocolates or whatever, you can have them Tuesday night or save them maybe for the Sunday in Lent if you must. I think it might be hard for parents, though, with children in a public school. I would hope that the Catholic schools won't be giving chocolates on Ash Wednesday, but who knows? You never know how things will be done. But yeah, there's there's got to be some creative ways to do it. But I remember during Lent when my youngest son was in kindergarten, he gave up sweets, but they would still have a snack and they would often, the snack wasn't always a sweet, so he didn't have to give it up. But if it was, he had a cracker pack in his backpack that he'd go get. Okay. You know, and I remember the teacher saying, we had somebody brought uh, drumsticks, you know, and and he went and he got his tra- cracker pack and had his cracker pack. And he goes, she goes, I was eating the drumstick. And she said, it shamed me that I was eating the- <laughs> 
<laughs> it was just it wasn't a Friday or anything. It was no, just Lent, just you know. And, Lent. But you know, we think that children are not capable. Like we want to say, well, they don't need to do this or they don't need to do that. But you know what? It's not necessary to have candy. It's not like you need candy to live. Like no. it's a healthy thing. You know, like they're not. We're not giving. We're not asking them to do something that would harm them, but would build their character a little bit. And you know, and when you look at saints, there's a lot of child saints, and they love sure. Jesus very much. And our children can learn. They can. They and then can. They, yes. they can make these little sacrifices and it builds their character, you know? Right. And lead by example. Yes. And lead by example. We can That's give right. that up too. And if you do choose to postpone the uh, love celebration that comes along with St. Valentine's Day and you save it for the weekend, well, you'll probably have a much easier time getting a reservation at your favorite restaurant. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. You are an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to the lives of the saints. And it's been a great discussion today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us and have a blessed 2024. Oh, the same to you. Thank you, Brenda.